Hello and welcome to Concert Pipeline. I'm Steve Jones. Today on the program, we have Zach Goody, the new lead singer of Smash Mouth. This is one that I'm really uh, pretty excited about, to be honest, because it's got some nostalgia attached to it for me. Uh, I, Smash Mouth is one of my first favorite bands. Uh, the first band I saw live in concert many, 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 many years ago uh, at, in Golden Gate Park. And I can't even tell you how, you know, I was probably 14 uh, at the time, um, I, you know, and it's one of those t things that it's like, okay, I ask bands what was their fir first concert and they'll, uh, they'll tell me, oh yeah, I saw Black Sabbath was my first concert or uh, I saw, you know, Jefferson Starship or I saw this other great band, you know, uh, Kiss was my first, that sort of thing. And I say, mine was for all sort of thing but but you know but it was you know the music i liked at the time it was the music i was into and so to get to talk to zach goody i mean and dig deep on him taking over the the reins from steve harwell uh as the lead singer of uh of smash mouth it was a really good conversation because we didn't just talk about smash mouth we talked about uh his career in music leading up to this point which is you know a pinnacle in his career he's going to get to play songs uh, with this notorious band, this band has sold tens of millions of albums and it has been part of movie history. Uh, I mean, has been, uh, you know, so prevalent in the music and entertainment world. There's no, no one who doesn't know who Smash Mouth is, right? And uh, and so for Zach to, to get to be the new lead singer and get to transform the band and lead the band into what this next chapter is, is pretty exciting. Uh, so, uh, so it's cool, and I'm excited for him, and I'm, I'm you know, supportive of what direction he, he takes it as well. We, we had a really great conversation. We'll get into that in just a bit. Uh, before we do, uh, you know, I have to share something, and that is this, this guy. This, uh, this is a COVID test that um, I tested positive with uh, two days ago, uh, and uh, I, I've made it this far. It's uh, been two and a half years. I haven't tested positive for COVID. Haven't you know? Uh, you know, I've been able to avoid it this long, but my daughter got it uh, this past uh, week, a couple of days ago, and it was really one of those things that just was, like came came to our family sort of thing. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how I've avoided it before. Even when uh, my son had it and my kid's stepdad had it you know, uh, earlier in the year, I think. Uh, well, my daughter and I are, uh, and my mom actually, are the most recent uh, victims to fall to, to COVID within the, the family. Um, so uh, let's, let's tell the story a little bit. Um, my daughter had uh, some sniffles, you know, that's kind of all it was uh, at first. And she had a dance recital that she was supposed to do this past weekend. And, uh, and so she had a rehearsal on Friday uh, in uh, in Napa, so I drove her to the rehearsal. Uh, you know, waited around with my son while while she was at the rehearsal doing the practice. It was a full dress rehearsal where she had to be in makeup and costume and everything uh, to practice for her Sunday uh, recital. And uh, and so she did that. We eventually are able to go home. And on the way home, she's sniffly and she coughed a bit. And I'm like, oh no, here it is. I'm like, you should test yourself. Uh, for COVID when we get home, you know, I uh, told her she should check, check just to, just to know. Uh, we had a lot of plans for the weekend. We were supposed to have, to have a barbecue with my buddy Joe and his family uh, and some other friends and families, you know, along the way. 
uh, you know, nothing big, but just a little housewarming thing uh, with, uh, with my buddy and his family. And then for, uh, my daughter was supposed to go to a friend's birthday party. And then she was supposed to have her recital on Sunday, which uh, I'll tell you, uh, she's been doing this dance thing for a couple of years. Uh, her mom and I have invested thousands of dollars into this hobby uh, that she's been doing and she's enjoyed uh, up to this point. But we haven't seen minute one of her actually performing because of COVID and it's been shut off. We haven't been able to see any rehearsals or anything along those lines. So this is going to be an opportunity for us to to see it, right? For for the first and last time because she's moved, moved from Napa and she's not going to be a part of that dance group anymore. So uh, so we were excited to support my daughter during this, and my daughter was obviously excited for the recital. There's a lot of lot building up to that point, and this te- this test, we get home and she tests, and it, it's positive, and she is a wreck. She's wrecked uh, to find out that she has COVID, and and it's very 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 mild symptoms. You know, we're all vaccinated and boosted and everything. Uh, you know, so it's it's super mild and it lasts barely a day for my daughter or any effects. I mean, I haven't seen, uh, I haven't been with my uh, kids. They've been with their mom, but uh, but I haven't seen any effect on her really from, from what I've seen, no, no lasting effect other than passing it to me, right? So she handed it off to me and, uh, and I tested uh, myself uh, because I had a little bit of a sore throat. I took some NyQuil, uh, I was, you know, I was supposed to go fishing with a buddy because uh, my day was freed up because there's no dance recital. So I was going to go fishing. I had warned him you know, about the COVID in the family, but I said, okay, as long as I test negative, you know, we're, we're fine. Right. So the morning we were supposed to go fishing. We were, we were going to meet up at 4 a.m. Um, I did the a 30 minute on the Peloton uh, and my throat was still a little bit sore. And I was like, okay, after the Peloton at 2.30 in the morning, uh, I took a test and it was positive. Uh, and I'm like, oh no. And I just, I had to, you know, re- tell my friend, I was like, look, you know, we can't, we can't do it. We can't go to, uh, you know, out to the bay to go fishing together because uh, his wife is pregnant and I would not feel okay if something happened there, right? You know, for, the, for most of us, this is gonna be mild effects. You know, for me, it feels like a little cold. Now I'm a little congested. You might be able to hear it in my voice uh, a, a little bit, but really there's not much to it. It's not stopping me from getting on the Peloton. Uh, it's, I mean, I'm, I'm doing low impact rides. I'm not getting out of the saddle. I'm trying to take it easy, but I'm still doing it. Uh, and uh, I'm still exercising and everything, right? Uh, so, I mean, the day I, got, I tested positive, I did 50 minutes on the Peloton and an 11 mile bike ride around Vacaville. Uh, and uh, and so I'm not slowing down, really. I'm just trying to take it easy <laughs> as much as I can. Is, is as much as is possible for me and uh and so i canceled my fishing trip and i've just been hanging ever since and isolating myself uh so um, i don't get anybody else sick or anything like that so that's the story with the with the covid it's uh it's a kick in the balls it's a pain in the ass uh it's annoying and uh and i'm ready for it to be done uh really so uh that's that's where that's at i don't know I'm sure I'll be past it in just a, uh, a day or two, but I've just been a little bit lower on the energy side, which again is still pretty high for most people, but, but low for me. Uh, I've been taking it easy, catching up on TV, reading a book, uh, all of that jazz, uh, listening to some music where I can. Um, and yeah, so that's the story. 
We just wrapped, by the way, uh, the five episodes of Bottle Rock content uh, from Na Bottle Rock Festival in Napa, where we interviewed tons of bands, uh, shared tons of concert footage, all of that. So go check those out if you haven't yet. But again, uh, Zach Goody is on the program today. Really excited to have him on. Uh, I don't want to stall anymore. I'm going to get into the interview with Zach Goody. Here it is. You're good. What's up, man? Yeah, Zach, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Doing very well. I just uh, getting back to the swing of things after being in Mexico all weekend, obviously. <laughs> yeah, how was and, Mexico? Uh, Mexico was incredible. It was, uh, you honestly couldn't ask for a better first show. <laughs> it was, uh, I don't know, 40,000 people, maybe uh, something like that. Uh, it was a trip, you know? Um, we did a lot of rehearsal and a lot of preparation and like six months of planning and um, then to actually do it and step out on stage. Cause I didn't, we, the way the, the venue was laid out, it was sort of like a, like a Coachella situation where there's like two huge stages in a tent and they were all like really far away from each other. And then the, the backstage sort of green room area was inside a soccer stadium with like cubicles for all the bands. So that we, and so to go place to place, you had to be, like driven by a whatever a van so we didn't actually see any of the the bands or the crowd like it was all barriers so all we saw was behind the like going on the bumpy road with cows and, and stuff and then going to, you know green room and then have lunch then okay we're gonna take you back here to this area for interviews and this area for press and so we did that for like the whole day and then it's time to go to the stage and, we, and still it's all it's all barriers you don't see anything um and then the, the crew sets up the stage. So I don't actually go out on stage. I have my in-ears and I'm backstage, like a big, you know, like the sign. And, the, you know, we're all doing the, the warm up and, you know, and everything. And I felt great and I felt confident and 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 not really nervous or anything. And uh, and the intro comes on, the guys like walk on one by one. And then it's like, can't, you know, can't get enough of you baby starts. Just walk on. It's like literally, a, it's like, you know, Woodstock. I mean, that many, it was crazy. And uh I mean, all iPhones, you know, <laughs> and uh, they were so nice. They couldn't have been nicer. Like the people were so sweet and and accepting. Um, you know, I expected to like walk out and have at least you know be see like arms crossed guy or like you know this, you know that guy or whatever. And it was it was all just positive and happy. And um, they knew. I mean, half my job is done. You know, they know the songs already, which is you know more than you can ask for. So um, yeah, it was fantastic. It was it was it, it couldn't have gone better um for a first show i mean it's probably all downhill from here because you don't get to play huge festivals every every weekend you know so we'll see how that goes but as a first show it was a great experience people loved it the, the whole point was kind of to get um footage you know just to show kind of promoters the new lineup and you know that we can deliver and so and that was like mission accomplished because like every, it was filmed from 90 different angles and drones and just like there's all the stuff out there from you know so it's like looks incredible sounds incredible um didn't really fuck up too much so it was, it was, that's it good was that's a good success. thing yeah yeah so it was great yeah and and so like tell me about learning the, the smash mouth catalog let's kind of start there with smash mouth like i mean how how was that process for you i mean it's extensive they've, they've been around for you know since the 90s right so yeah maybe yeah um well i only knew honestly i only knew maybe three or four smash mouth songs <laughs> yeah i just they kind of like they weren't one of my big bands like i knew of them but i just wasn't like a super fan i was, I was a casual fan you know um so basically they gave me the list of 30 songs that are like their regular rotation and that kind of got narrowed down to about 25 
um, ish, 23. Um, and I just learned them. I mean, I have, I have, I have a background of in theater. I've done, I've done tons of, you know, plays and musicals and I've done, you know, acting and I've done voiceover work and scripts and, uh, you know, cover bands and all kinds of stuff. I mean, I've learned, you know, I, I, it's, I have a process for learning stuff. I have a pretty good system and I just kind of got to work. And that was back, um, that was honestly back last year when we first started the process, when I first met those guys around the holidays. Um, so the first, the first uh, batch was to learn six songs for the audition. So that was, that was the, that was priority number one. And that's like, you know, the six that you can imagine the biggest hit. So I learned all those. Um, went up there and you know the audition went well and then got down to like the final four and then I got the gig and so then it was like okay here's the other 20 to learn so I just kind of got to work over the holidays um, we went to San Jose for like three days of rehearsals back uh, I don't know a few months ago and then they came down to LA for a couple of days we did a few more days of rehearsals then we then they came down last, the last before the Mexico show we rented out a big place in LA and did Tuesday Wednesday Thursday like all day rehearsals like three hour um rehearsals and that went great like because that's the number one thing you know a couple of the things that, that that I was worried about were number one you know singing a 90 minute set you know because it's it's just it's a lot of vocal work you know it's not like when you're in like a rock band you play 40 minutes at a bar and then you're done you know that's that's kind right. of my but I did some tribute stuff where I was like I'd sing for two hours and you know you just, it's never been a problem but you always think about it for me I'm always like I want to protect my voice so you know and the other thing is that um my natural sort of singing voice tends to be a higher, like I, I have sort of a rangier, you know, I compare it to like, I don't know, Peter Gabriel type of vibe. Like I have more of like that kind of higher end voice, more of a tenor, I guess. Um, and Steve is more of a baritone. He's very chest throat voice, you know? So I was worried that like, I wouldn't be able to do it for a long time. Or it would strain my voice or it wouldn't sound right. So, but it was fine. It was honestly, it was like, it, it's just kind of like a natural fit. I kind of put my own, I don't sound, exactly like it i put my own little twist on it but it sounds enough where it's you know it sounds good people like it and um it doesn't i found like a sweet spot where it feels comfortable and doesn't hurt me <laughs> so and, um and so yeah. did you did you find that for in time for the audition or did, or after yeah. the process like yeah i've i i found it more since I've, been, I've gotten more comfortable singing the songs um but i did find it in time for the auditions the auditions went really well um it's also like I'm, I'm like a classic over preparer just from, I guess, you know, a theater background. So it's like, yeah. you got to put in the work. So I, I you know, I, I'm, I'm sitting in my studio here you know, in the room over here. I have my, my kind of jam room, which just has all my gear. And so I would go maybe every other day for like, you know, a couple of weeks and literally, you know, put the tracks on, plug it into my PA, put the PA on loud, face the microphone to it and sing the entire 90 minute song set, you know, by myself loud out loud you know, as opposed to sing along in the shower in your car, like to practice actually projecting and, you know, so that, I, I think that came in, that, that paid off because um, when I actually got up there to play with them at practice, when we had a full loud practice, it felt so much easier than playing to the tracks because it's just more rounded and all the corners are filled in and it just, it just, it just kind of clicked. It was like really a kind of natural fit. Um, so yeah, it just worked out that way. I just, I just put the work in. I just sat there and studied the words. I mean, I, I have an iTunes playlist um, of all the songs and it has like the play counts. You know, some of them are like, you know, 87 plays, you know, 93 wow. plays over and over and over and over again. Um, the only one that has like five plays is why can't we be friends? And I real, I'm like, why did I not do that one so much? And then I realized because the album version fades out for so long, I always just skip the next track. 
So unless yeah. you finish the track, it doesn't count as a, as a play. <laughs> so I actually listened that one a hundred times, but it only says like five. No, that's, <laughs> that's funny. That's funny. And whose idea was it for you to audition? Like, how did the audition come about? Did you get... Um, it was honestly a total fluke. I was just, um, I saw the ad on somewhere. I saw like an ad, like I saw, oh, Smash Mouth. You know, I, I heard about it in the news that he had left. It wasn't something I considered. Um, and then I saw an ad saying like, you know, Smash Mouth looking for a new lead singer. You know, we want to do this one time and find a permanent member, you know, preferably, you know, this, this, and this. And so I just, I just, I just sent an email. I just had an address in there and I just said, I just sent him an email. I'm like, hey, uh, my name is Zach Goody. I'm in LA. I'm a singer. I have lots of experience. I've played with, you know, X, Y, and Z over the last 30 years. Um, you know, if you want a guy who's got like a dad bod and some, you know, 90s tattoos, like I'm your dude. Here's my, here's my YouTube page. Kind of like, kind of was like, just like, just to do it. Just like, why not? You know, go and didn't think I'd get a reply. And uh, management like emailed me back in like an hour. <laughs> and they're like, great. Send us an audition. So we're walking on the sun. So I was like, all right. So I just, in this room, like, just like this, I just like downloaded the karaoke track, sang it live just to my iPhone, sent it in. And they're like, sounds great. Do all, do you send one for all-star? So I did that. They, they, they dug it and like, we mm -hmm. had a conversation on the phone and talked about stuff and told me the situation. Um, and then like, like, cool, we want to have you come up and meet Paul and jam with him and just see if you guys click. Cause he's like the, you know, the founding member and you know, yes. we're, all, we're all in San Jose. And so, yes, yeah, so I went up to meet Paul. That was around, I don't know, something maybe around Thanksgiving time, somewhere around there. And uh, we hung out for like just a day and jammed. We basically like, they had like a live, they have the full um, sound management. They have a whole complex. So it's like a recording studio, a management office, you know, a whole thing, stages, I guess. Um, like, it's like, you know, when you walk into a record label, there's all the different rooms and, you know, front desk and everything. And so they have a, basically the engineering like mixing station and then they have a live room so they basically Deegan the engineer had live tracks to their show with the vocals mixed out and so we just cranked that up on the PA and I had a mic and he had a bass and we just played along to like whoever six songs that I felt comfortable with and we just kind of clicked it's like it went great you know he's, he's you know I don't know if you know have you met Paul or talked to him before um I don't think I've met Paul or, I've, I met Steve a number of times I met Greg back in the you know day interviewed him uh but so Paul is not, like a very positive person. He's like, he's like, basically like, you know, he's like, this is going to be great. Like, it's awesome. Like, it's rock. like he's just like total, just like joyful energy, you know, like a little kid. So it's just like, it was that kind of like vibe, you know, where it's like, I'll do a song. Like, that sounds great. You sound so good. It's going to be awesome. You know? And so I'm like, okay, this actually sounds good. So, um, and then we talked about music and we're both, you know, he's, he's a little older than me, but we're the same generation. So we're like, we talked about our influences and, you know, Pixies and Fishbone and, punk rock and Devo and like all the stuff that, you know, I was, in, we're both, because my, um, my sort of uh, backgrounds in San Diego music for 20 years um, kind of paralleled their kind of rise is around the same time, same kind of genre of music. Um, it's just my band never made it. <laughs> so, you know, we, you know, we were very popular in San Diego. We put out, you know, four albums. We would headline big shows. We were huge in the nineties, but never, broke out of the San Diego scene while we saw kind of all of our other friends become huge. And then we kind of, you know, lost a drummer and then changed the bass players, which is the typical band story and, you know, bad management and yada, yada. Um, we had a great 10 year, actually, actually 17 year run with, you know, the core members, we changed our name, we we're called Ghoul Spoon for the nineties. 
And then we got a management deal. We changed our name. Like, they're like, great band, terrible name. We're like, we agree. So we, um, after putting out three albums under that name, we changed our name to Divided by Zero, DBZ. And that was more of like a, that was kind of like our moment when it all kind of came together. We got a new record deal. We put an album out. We did a tour. It went really well, but then it just kind of fell apart. And that was around 2006 or seven um, after starting in 91. So it was like, it was, it was a 17 year run, but wow. um, at the same time, our music, our music was very like, um, you know, uh, we started out, you know, right actually peppers, you know, fishbone, Mr. Bungle, bad brains, public enemy, like that kind of like, all you know, funky, rappy, reggae, you know, some metal. Um, so that was kind of like, we were the sort of like only band doing, not the only band, but one of the only bands in San Diego kind of doing that scene. So we didn't really fit into the punk scene or the ska scene. We were kind of like, we play with everybody. So we were like, we were the band that, um, you know, everyone would, all those kind of up and coming, which became the new metal and funky alternative metal scene played with. So it was like, you know, Incubus, Sublime, Deftones, Corn, you know, uh, Sugar Ray, No Doubt, like all those bands that like on their way up, they all played for us, opened for us, you know, we opened for them, we became, you know, so that was like our scene. We had a, I mean, great shows, great scene, but we never, we just never got over that hump. We were never, no one ever heard of us. We were outside of that scene. Um, whereas Smash Mouth, kind of same scene, like they were kind of punk ska-ish, like a little more, not quite the same, but we played with a lot of the same bands. Yeah. You know, we would play this, this club called Soma. I don't know if you've, I'm sure in your, in your okay. travels, you've Yeah, San Diego. Like, yeah, oh yeah. yeah. Still around. Um, so that was sort of like the breeding ground for all these bands. So it was like the top like five bands were like, you know, Us, Sprung Monkey, uh, Buck 09, Blink, yeah. P.O.D., and Unwritten Law. And those were sort of like the core bands that would play all these shows. there was a lot more bands but those were like the ones that were our friends the most um and most of them went on to become you know pretty big bands um so we would play these new year's shows every year and it was like at the sports arena so you know and it was like you know the buddy boss tones you know pennywise the vandals Guttermouth, blank you know us and you know all these other bands so we were in the same kind of circle as the punk scoffing so when i started talking to paul about these things i was like how did we never play with you before it seems like you know He's like, oh, well, we got signed after like 13 shows. <laughs> you know? I'm like, we played for 17 years and never got signed. But um, they have, I mean, I'm sure you know their backstory about how they, you know, the single and Carson Daly and K-Rock and like their oh, yeah. great history. And it's like incredible. Um, so it's just, we have, you know, my long-winded way of saying that we have a kind of a shared similar history, you know, and it's not totally foreign. Like it kind of makes sense yeah. to be in this band now. <laughs> yeah. You know, like all, all that preparation kind of brought me here, you know? Yeah, and and so as you're kind of getting into rehearsals, like did it gel immediately with the other members of the band as well outside of Paul? Everybody just kind of jived and it felt natural. Yeah, it really did. Um, I mean, uh, Kluster, the keyboard player, he's been in for 25 years. You know, he's like basically a he's like he, he joined. I think he joined like just after the first album or something. So he's basically an original member, um, and he's just like a you know cerebral musicians musician kind of guy. Like you know. Um, guitar player uh, Sean and drummer Randy are both, you know, long-term guys that have been in for 10 plus years and they're both pros that play with tons of other people. So they're like, you know, they were the guys I was more worried about because I mean, Randy drums for Mick Jagger, Ringo Starr, the Rhythmics, Kobe Calais. Oh. Um, I mean, everybody, he's like, you know, look him up on Wikipedia. Dude's like one of the yeah. best drummers in the world. So um, and Sean played with, you know, Enrique Iglesias and he's like, you know, just a consummate professional. So these guys are killer players and they couldn't have been nicer. I mean, like there was no, you know, we, we clicked. Um, and then at the audition, 
sort of it went well but there was i think there was like four guys that day that were coming in like spaced apart so that you wouldn't see each other you know and uh -huh. uh and um i don't remember if i was last or second to last or something but it went you know couldn't have gotten better it was like it was like six songs cool well great you know great to meet you cool and then like sort of like that night on instagram it was like randy cook has has followed you and then like sean has followed you then everything like they started messaging me hey buddy good job today like one by one i'm like hmm and then yeah then they call that, that's the how day. you find oh. out right like it's through yeah, instagram these days. and then then the manager guys called me that next day and, and offered me the gig but uh, yeah they were they were um they couldn't have been nicer um there was really no i, I think they're just they're just happy to sort of move forward and and you know and play with you play with me i mean it was just it was it was it kind of just clicked yes yeah, so i know you know i'm sure down the line we'll get sick of each other or something but for for now <laughs> not having any issues yet yeah yeah um so i want to I go back and kind of learn a little bit about you and your upbringing in music as, as well like tell me what was on in your household as a as a kid were your parents influential at all musically uh yeah i was um i was born in new york city um but then my parents moved to a, a place called provincetown massachusetts uh when i was just a baby so i basically grew up there but then they got divorced my dad went back to new york so i kind of went back and forth lived in the city for a few years went back to p-town so I kind of had the like I lived in a tiny little weird artist community with a very big gay cult subculture, like a bohemian. It's like where John Waters lives. Um, okay. It's a very famous artistic community, you know, where it's like a ghost town in the winter with like Portuguese fishermen, and in the summertime it's like carnival, college kids, you know, transvestite conventions. Like, it's like the craziest place on earth, um, still to this day. And it's one. It's like the whole town's two miles long. It's a tiny little town. So it's an amazing place to grow up in the 70s and 80s, you know, running wild in the streets. Uh, my dad uh, is like a movie guy. So he owned, he was a part owner in the local movie theater. Um, what part of the country are you in? Where are you at? Uh, I'm in uh, Bay Area. I'm in Vacaville, actually. So, okay. No. So um, yeah. I was going to say, like, I don't know if you're familiar with like the new Bev in LA, like Quentin Tarantino's theater um, or the new I art. Think I've heard it, it was basically like, yeah. it was like an art house cinema. So they would show Rocky Art Picture Show at midnight. And, yeah. you know, all these crazy, like, you know, film noir and Yellow Submarine, Logan's Run and, you know, Clockwork Orange and Harold Maud and all these crazy sort of art movies. So I kind of grew up going, since my dad was part, was part owner, I got him free. So I would go to the theater and I basically grew up in that movie theater watching, you know, all these crazy movies and stuff I that was, you know, inappropriate. Um, so that was sort of one area. And then... Uh, in, on the New York side, I started to go to private school and they sent me to um, a place called St. Anne's, which is still there. It's a very, very well-known sort of um, performing arts school in Brooklyn Heights. So I went there and it was like the BC boys went there. Um, Jennifer Connelly was in my class in sixth grade. So okay, it was like a very, that's like, cool. You know, very, very, very artsy sort of like, you know, cool place to, to learn music and um, literature. So I kind of grew up as like a theater kid, you know, that basically. Yeah. Um, then I went to, as an offshoot of that, I went to a place called Stage Door Manor, which is still there also, which is a very well-known acting camp in upstate New York. Um, and I didn't know at the time it was famous, but looking, you know, 30 years later, I looked it up and went like, oh, like, you know, Zach Braff and Natalie Portman and like all these famous people went there, you know, they're probably they're younger than me, so probably not when I was there, but right. um, it's a very well-known acting. So I did, I did theater there. That led to um, some other theater stuff. I did some off-Broadway in New York. I, did, I was in like a play when I was nine years old, off-Broadway called Runaways, um, which I actually I hadn't thought about in years. I looked at the flyer and it has all the names. I looked at the people to see if I could find who they were. And the star of it was um, 
Amy, it's like some really long last name. It's like Kershkowski. I looked it up and it's like, she changed her name to Amy Ryan and she's from the, she's on the office. Amy Ryan from the office. I'm like, oh, she, I was like, she was in the play with me. I don't even remember. So just random stuff That's like crazy. that. And yeah. Like, yeah. And then, so I kind of had that theater background, like, you know, um, and then just- Yeah, you did, you did Rent and you did Grease and stuff, right? Like- Yeah, all that stuff was in high school. Rent was much later. Rent was like 10 years ago. Um, after not having done live theater and being in rock bands for 20 years, my friends um, called me up, Elsie and Hurst, who actually now uh, is running the, movie, the new movie theater in Provincetown. Uh, I saw her this past summer. So she, she was like, hey, yeah. Cause I was like, you know, I was known as like the singer guy who had like moved up to LA or whatever. And she's like, hey, would you consider doing this play Rent? It's a charity for, the, for I forgot. Uh, I think it's, it was an AIDS charity. I forgot the name of the charity, but um. And I happened to be in Hong Kong at the time for three weeks. And so she's like, yeah, we're going to like learn the whole thing by yourself. And then we're going to have a week of rehearsals in New York and then one performance in Provincetown in the summer. So I was like, sure. I didn't, I knew nothing about rent at all. And I hadn't done theater in, since high school. Uh, all I knew about rent was, you know, everyone's got AIDS from the South Park. Was, yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, all I, you, uh, that's all you need, right? Like, I mean, <laughs> right. So, so I, I, I watched it. I watched the same as the Smash Mouth thing. I watched the, the, I had the movie and then I had the um, filmed live on Broadway version. And I just watched it over and over when I was in Hong Kong and learned the entire thing back to front. Went to New York, uh, had a killer. It was, it was all members of like, it was all like an all, it was like all of her friends from the theater. So it was like all like top people, like, you know, television actors and like people that were all legit SAG members and we had a performance and it went great it was like it was such an amazing feeling um acting again I hadn't done it in so long um and it was also I didn't realize the play is basically about like a rock star who's dying and he wants to write one last song before he yeah. goes like one moment of glory it's, you know one song glory is the big song so I was like oh I could relate to that you know so um it was great that was that was awesome so that was much later so Back when I was like 10, I did all this other theater and then sort of did theater all through high school. And then I sort of discovered punk and new wave. I got really heavily into like Devo. Devo is my big, it's the only band that I have tattooed mm. on my body is Devo. Nice, <laughs> so, nice. Um, I got heavily into like Devo. I, I was sort of like, that was like around the time when everyone was into like Def Leppard and Ozzy on. I just didn't relate to that. I, I came around much later to like metal, but like at the time it was like all the jocks and all the knuckleheads were kind of like, you fucking Ozzy rule. And I was like, I like Devo, you know? So. They were like my kiss. Um, and so, yeah, then I just got into, you know, that kind of new wave super heavily into like the cars. And I discovered Elvis Costello's first album when I was a kid and my brother was into, really, he still is, he's a music producer in the Bay Area. And he's, you know, he was into like, um, you know, Brian Eno and, um, you know, the Stooges and, and uh, the Residents and all kinds of like weird, you know, Tuxedo Moon and Perubu and all this like stuff that he turned me on to. And we were also going to shows in New York. So I was a kid in New York going back and forth. So we took me to see Motorhead and Wendy O. Williams and all these other bands. And so, yeah, just, you know, punk and new wave. And then um, when I was around and I was doing school musicals the whole time and acting, I started in Greece. I started in uh, just a ton of plays in high school. Um, then when I was 15, I discovered Motley Crue. <laughs> Too uh -huh. Fast for Love, which is still probably my favorite debut album of all time, besides maybe the Cars. Uh, and like got super into Molly Crew for like a year. And that was like the extent of my medal in high school. And then I discovered um, Zeppelin. And that was kind of it for me. And that was like the rest of high school was like growing my hair out, Pink Floyd, you know, all the classic rock stuff. Um, and I, I joined a band in high school and so we would play three sets a night um, during high school. I moved, I had like issues with my mom. Like she was like, didn't understand my lifestyle. So I, I actually left home when I was 16 
and finished high school, had a job and was in a band and did all this stuff. Wow. Um, and was in a band, was in all the school plays. Um, and then after high school, at the same time, right around that time, this is like in the late 80s, uh, yeah. I discovered hip hop. That was like my other, my next big influence. So after Zeppelin, that was around the time when Beastie Boys came out and all that stuff. So I got super into Beastie Boys, um, De La Soul, Public Enemy, Boogie Down Productions, um, you know, all the Tribe Called Quest, like all the classic hip hop and got obsessed with it. And then also realized that I had a skill to do it. So I became sort of like, not a rapper, but like I just like incorporated that into my music. And then I moved to Hawaii and lived there for three years because my dad had left New York and gone to Hawaii to live. Wow. I didn't really want to go to college. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I wanted to start a band, but I didn't know where to go. So I lived in Hawaii for three years. Um, discovered Red actually Peppers. Um, summer of 89 was probably the biggest influence on me ever in terms of music. I mean, all the bands I discovered that year were are still my family. I discovered even some older bands I never heard. I discovered Velvet Underground, um, yeah. King Crimson. And then, you know, De La Soul, uh, you know, Jane's Addiction, Fishbone, uh, Red Hots, um, uh, you know, Public Enemy. There's all these bands that are still my favorite bands to this day. And then, you know, that segued into the Lollapalooza generation and that whole thing. Went to the first Lollapalooza. And then I met these guys in Hawaii uh, who were in a band, but they were more of like a metal band. They were kind of into like Anthrax and Megadeth and Metallica and sort of like thrash metal and, and, and old school reggae. That was like their two big things. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that kind of turned me on to the old school reggae thing with like the Heart of They Come and Rocker soundtracks and all that kind of stuff. So I got heavily into old school reggae. Um, and then, but I really wanted to do something kind of rappy, funky. I was like super into the Red Hots then that time. And I was like, I was like trying to find somebody that would, nobody was doing that music at all that I could find. So um, long story short, these guys, this group of guys from Kona, Hawaii, um, moved to Tacoma wide like we're gonna go make it in Tacoma we have friends who lives there whatever I forgot the story they moved there to make it and I was like all right so I moved back I went back to Providence now for the summer um and there we kept in touch and um they were living there for like a year or two their singer didn't work out they like got in a fight with them they were supposed to open for Nirvana and then like he like got arrested so they like got, couldn't be on the show and they kicked him out of the band there's all this drama and they sent me a demo like hey would you consider you know um we're gonna move to San Diego uh would you consider joining our band and i'm like here's our demo tape and it was like it was like metal riffs with like reggae breakdowns and i was yeah. like this is pretty cool i could add so i had like some you know kind of rappy stuff and funky stuff and um i was like i basically sold everything i had I, I i packed everything else in a car i left my girlfriend at the time and drove cross country by myself to san diego to meet up with these guys and this is in um this is basically summer of 91 yeah so that's a big that's a big transition and you know i mean and and uh, you you were like that was more important at that time than a girlfriend and everything else that you yeah. had there right? yeah it was it was like an opportunity opportunity to do something um and i've also you know since that time actually my whole life but really since that time i've always made a habit of saying yes to opportunities which is why the smash mouth thing came about which is you know it's easy to say no it's easy not to you know say what will happen if i fail what you know what you know and I always just like embrace the next adventure and, and try to try to just go for it, you know? Um, so that was a big one. I mean, I, I, I went to California by myself. Um, I stopped along the way to visit some friends in Colorado and my friends, I think I was in Boulder and my friends like, you have to come with me to the mall right now. And so like, we, went to, we went to the mall in Boulder 
and he made, he's like, you have to buy this tape. You must buy this, you know? So I bought it and it was Nirvana, Nevermind. It just come out, it just come out. He's like, I never heard of them. So I, that was like my soundtrack for driving cross country. Like, I love this album. I was like, so I get to San Diego. I'm like, you know, we, I, I meet, I had never met the drummer. I only knew the other two guys. And so we, you know, we started the band and I'm like, um, I'm like, dude, have you, have you heard this band Nirvana? I'm like obsessed with them. They're like, they're our neighbors. We just left Tacoma. Like they were our buddies. <laughs> we left, we, we left there because we didn't think the Seattle music scene was happening. We moved to San Diego and literally that like month, they blew up Soundgarden. Now, you know, the whole entire thing, Pearl Jam, but the first concert I saw when I moved to San Diego was Red Chili Peppers and the Blood Sugar Magic Sex Tour with Nirvana and Pearl Jam opening. Oh like, my God. That's incredible. And like, so it was like, that, you know, they're like, yeah, they were like, they're like, we'd like smoke weed with them and like go to band practice with them all the time. Like we were supposed to open for them last week. I'm like, great timing, guys. That should have, I should have, that should have been a, a, a portend of things to come, like bad timing, like doing rap in like 1991 instead of, you know, 1998. Um, you just missed them, but you did tour with Foo Fighters at one point, right? So, or you played with uh, them? We tour with them. We played, we, we played with them. Yeah, we, I mean, we played with everybody. I mean, we did, we, we would do like these festival packages that would come to San Diego, like the, the radio station would put on, it would be like, um, you know, whatever, Deftones, Foo Fighters, Incubus, Slayer, and us, or whatever. Yeah. And we did tons of those kind of shows. Uh, we never toured with them like more than one show. We just played, you know, yeah. one offs. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of how it started. And then we just sort of like formed the bands, you know, practiced, wrote songs, and just throughout the 90s, sort of just like that Soma was a godsend. Soma was really what started it for us. We um, they had a system where you had to play the, it was called the Dungeon, and it was like held a couple hundred people, and it was like, you know, mosh pit just like stinky and you know you, so the thing was you you get paid you know say ghouls come up the door you get a dollar so you get a dollar for everyone that says your name so you play the dungeon so you could draw 100 people which is a lot back then especially because the other yeah. bands that we played with you know unwritten law pod blink buckman all these guys were from san diego they all grew up in power they had family friends high school friends i mean they were like huge from since high school these guys were high school bands and we had moved yeah. there from somewhere else. We really didn't know anybody. So we had to kind of build up our following. And plus our music was very kind of weird and funky with a lot of like, you know, changes and, you know, didn't really, but it just kind of worked. And um, we ended up drawing a hundred people on our second show. And we played the main floor, which held like, I think 2000, it was a big club. It's where, um, if you look on the internet, it's where um, Stone Temple Pilots filmed the video for Wicked Garden. So if you watch the Wicked Garden video, that's the main floor of Soma. Um, which at the time people were pissed about because like they're not a San Diego band. They're only two guys from San Diego. Posers, yeah. yeah, yeah, Like they're because they're called Mighty Joe Young, and then they got signed and changed their name to Stone Temple Pilots. So like half the people are like they're amazing, and half the people are like they're not a San Diego band. Um, but yeah, so that was that was Soma, and then and right after that we were opening for all these. It was mostly punk shows, and we weren't really punk, but they they would book us with like um, the Dead Milkmen, and that was like this, okay. you know. We, two, the biggest show they ever had, 2,000 people. And we're playing in front of like these key, I mean, I have some, some stuff on my YouTube channel that I, I recently burned after 30 years and put on there. And it's just yeah. like crowds of just not, you know, Fishbone and just, you know, uh, all these cool DI and Agent Orange. And um, I mean, all these like, you know, all the Epitaph bands, you know, we would play with Down by Law and, you know, all these bands. So yeah, it was an incredible scene. And um, it really helped kickstart us into having a career um, but the thing that happened that threw a monkey wrench and it was that it closed and they moved to a new location, but they were closed for like a year or so. And during that mm. time, we'd all kind of turned 21 and 22 and we kind of transitioned into becoming a bar band. Yeah. And so we kind of, we, we kind of like ended up doing that scene more, which we had a good career in, but 
the all ages crowd is where it's at, you know? And so by the time they reopened, we went back, we never kind of recaptured that moment that we had when we were like 20, 21, and like all the high school kids were super into us because they had kind of moved on. And it was still a huge scene. We were never really as big as those first like three or four years. Um, and then we started playing the clubs and the bars. And then that's when the whole new metal thing started to bubble up in 93, 94. And then, you know, Corn and Deftones would come down and they, they put them with our band every time. So like, you know, Corn opened for us like three or four times um, at little clubs. And we were like, we're watching these guys like, what the heck, you know? Uh, you can just tell from the first moment they play that these, these they're, they're different. They're going to be huge. And sure yeah. enough, by the fourth show, we were opening for them. <laughs> and then uh, it didn't take off. Yeah. Signed. Um, and uh, yeah, they actually thanked us on their first album, which was nice. So if you, if you look at the liner notes of the first Corn album, they thanked Goldspoon. Um, and then that kind of changed. And then, then the whole kind of industry shifted into that whole sort of like new metal thing and away from the weirdness of the Mr. Bungles of the world, you know? Yeah. Um, and things just changed. And we sort of, we added a second guitar player because we had to like keep up with the heaviness of the other bands. And, sure. Um, but we had a good run. It was, it was a great, I mean, basically most of the 90s were incredible in San Diego and Pacific Beach, Ocean Beach, um, Slightly Stupid were our buddies. They kind of like came up as little grommets. They became this huge band, still are. Um, and then after them from Kona, where we were from, this band called Pepper followed them over here. Uh -huh. And now Pepper is huge also. Um, so yeah, uh, what was the question? <laughs> well, well, I want to know kind of from that period of your, your life, I mean, which was such a significant part of your, like, what, what have you taken? What are some of the biggest takeaways that you've been able to apply, you know, at this point in your career? Um, I mean, there's nothing that replaces, you know, four or five guys in a room playing music. You know, I love all kinds of music. I love hip hop. I love, you know, you know, DJ stuff and massive attack and all that kind of stuff. But there's nothing that takes the place of playing in a room with other musicians. And fortunately, those days, bands that are, you know, people of a certain age, I mean, it's still happening to a degree, but, you know, nothing like sweating it out in the room with two or three guys, four guys, on every, every Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, bonding, writing songs together, passing out flyers, getting people to come to your shows. Um, and I have that experience, that work ethic that I got from those days. And nothing can really, you know, I DJ too, but it's like, you know, <laughs> using yeah. Serato to like, you know, DJ is a whole different skill set and, you know, thing than being in a band and, and promoting and, you know, so I'm really happy that I came up during that time um, and learned that work ethic and, you know, is there stuff I would do differently? Sure. You know, looking back, you know, certain band members probably should have moved on <laughs> earlier than when they did, you know, if you had a different guy here or there, or you had a different band name or you different, you know, you can second guess that stuff all you want. Um, but uh, that's basically, you know, I just, I came up at a time when bands had to work um, to draw people to come to your shows. I mean, literally would stand outside the club and be like, say, girls, boom, you, you know, you'd have to get each fan to come in. You know, it wasn't like, I'm going to paste my flyer to your MySpace page. I mean, right, <laughs> before exactly. that, yeah. you know, so it sounds like, hey, get off my lawn, but it's just, um, it was something that we learned. And, um, I think that in combination with um, the theater background of learning lines really gave me the discipline to sort of just um, protect, you know, my, my, my craft or my whatever, my voice and like, you know, be, I'm, I'm not just like, hey, okay, let's just go party. It's like, you know, I went through that phase, but, you know, I want to make sure my voice sounds good. I want to make sure I get rest. I want to make sure I warm up. Um, you know, I want to make sure that I, I know my shit. I mean, my, my basic thing is just like show up on time and be in tune, you know, and everything else will take care of itself. Yeah. 
yeah. Um, so I want to get back to Smash Mouth a little bit more, but before we do, um, tell me about Geezer and uh, and that project of yours because that's uh, that seems pretty cool. Oh yeah, so Geezer is just sort of like a, it was sort of a um, an anti tribute band tribute band. Um, it's the brainchild of my friend Adam Gimbel, um, who's sort of like a mashup tribute band genius. Um, he has all, all these concepts. He, has, he basically has a collective called Cover Me Bad, and they have all these off. You know, he does. He'll do like a Wilco tribute or Oasis tribute or uh, Spinal Tap. And he's doing a thing called Stones and Roses right now. He's toured Europe twice, where it's like a mashup of Stone, of uh, the Rolling Stones, Stones and Roses, and I'm sorry, Stone Roses and the Rolling Stones <laughs> and Guns and Roses. Guns and Roses. <laughs> and so yeah. it's like you kind of have to see it to believe it. But Geezer was one of his ideas. Um, about 15 years ago, um, as a kind of a goof, a one-off at like a Casbah show. Casbah is another famous, um, very famous bar in San Diego. Um, and it was just like basically played Weezer's Blue Album, Dressed as Old Men. So they did that. Um, I didn't do that very first show. And that was like a one-off. And then it kind of came back. And that's when I joined um, because Weezer was playing San Diego and they were looking for people to play. It was at the tour they did about 10 years ago where it was uh, like the Hootenanny tour and like come on stage and play two songs. It was like the whole... The whole stage was like all people with like toy instruments. So we basically, Adam's like, okay, we're gonna dress up as old men, go to the radio station and like, see if we can get in and like be the back, be the audition band. So we did it and they loved it. Like, yeah, you guys can come on stage. So we learned, you know, all their songs. I played, I've never played bass in my life before. I just, I, I played bass because that was what they needed. Um, and then we went on stage with Weezer and that was our first show on stage with Weezer. There's tons of pictures of it. So my wife, my now wife and girlfriend was the uh, nurse and, uh, so yeah, we did that and it just kind of like grew from there and we just play fun shows. And then we kind of decided we don't want to be a Weezer tribute band. So we kind of like turned it into more of like a, um, for lack of a better term, I tell people it's kind of like Steel Panther for alternative rock. So it's like how they don't just play Bon Jovi, they play all different songs and original songs. Yeah. So that's kind of what Geezer is. It's sort of like a whole mishmash of 90s stuff. And we do, and then we learned that we can all rap. So we, we incorporated a Beastie Boys uh, set into it. So we leave an hour long Beastie Boys set that we could pull out anytime. We all play the, I play the bass and do the MCA. You know, uh -huh. Adam, Adam, Adam's name is Adam and he plays the guitar and does dad rock. And then we, so um, we've done tons of shows where it's just Beastie Boys. So, but we don't take it seriously. Like we goof on no. ourselves, we goof on the crowd. Um, you know, like the number one rule of being a tribute band is you're not supposed to play um, the song of the band you're playing with. That's like, you know, verboten. Yeah, so we yeah, always yeah. do that every time. You know, we always goof on, you know, the band we're playing with could take themselves too seriously. You know, it's like, uh, I can't think of an example, but. We played the Jimi Hendrix band one time, and like right before they went on stage, the band members like, "Just do what you do, man." And like, you mean do what Jimmy does? <laughs> you're like, <Right>? <laughs> Calm down, you know. You're not you're not actually Bono. Calm down. Yeah. Um, so it was just a fun thing. It's a goof thing. It just became popular, and we would play. I mean, we would we had we headline, you know, like House of Blues size venues and play with uh, all. We play like some of the fun tribute bands, like you know, Metalachi and yeah. um you know, bands like that that are, yeah. that are that are like goofy funny like comedic we've done comedy clubs um yeah. and that just really gave me a back like a, a really solid um comfort on stage of like getting heckled um band in between song banter like improv um so i feel pretty comfortable and also just wing it like we're like we never we haven't practiced in 10 years like well we've been show tomorrow cool let's do a zoom quick thing what are the chords cheat sheet okay we're doing the theme to uh Happy Days theme. Okay, cool. What's the sharps? What key is it in? And just like winging it and, you know, taking on my feet. So I'm, I became very good at that. And it's just fun, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that's geezer. I don't do it that much anymore because um, I had so many other things going on. I moved to LA and they were still in San Diego. And so 
I play occasional shows with them, but they have subs for every position. So it's like, like if I can't do it, they have somebody else who fills in for me now. Sure. And you did that COVID song too, uh, uh, Dr. Fauci, right? So, <laughs> Right. We did that one. Um, yeah, we have some original songs. Our first original song was called We Ain't No Weezer Tribute Band. Mm-hmm. Um, these are all on YouTube on our page, but uh, yeah, We Ain't No Weezer Tribute Band is one of them. Um, OK Boomer, we did a rap song called OK Boomer when that was, yeah. when that, was that phrase was popular for like one week. And we took like six months to edit it. By the time we put it out, nobody cared. <laughs> too late, uh, yeah. So yeah, we have some original songs too. <laughs> yeah yeah so uh so talk to me about um you get together with the guys from smash mouth yeah the first song that you guys release is this cover of never gonna give you up right so mm-hmm. uh tell, tell me how that came about uh they gave that to me early on when i was still like when i just sort of like um started playing with them and he was like hey put, put your vocals on top of it see what it sounds like excuse me i think they had planned on doing it for a soundtrack like they already had it recorded like, it was all completely done um so I tracked my vocals and uh, it came out, I think it came out great. Um, and uh, I didn't understand, I thought it was a really clever idea because it was just like never going to give you up, like, you know, Smash Mouth is back and we're not going away. That's how I saw it. I did. So when we put it out, um, it still hasn't come out yet. It's coming out next Friday, um, a week from tomorrow on Universal Music. Um, so it'll be everywhere. Um, Spotify, yada, yada. But it's, it's only on YouTube on the one the one YouTube thing, but um and then what happened was on March first we like a couple like a week before March first when we kind of fi- you know finalized I'm going to be in the band but we, it was still a secret you know they call me up and like hey we're going to debut the new song you're going to go live on K Rock with Kevin Kenny and I'm like holy shit okay I've been waiting 30 years to be on K Rock right so me and Paul go on K Rock um, with Kevin who's ended up being like super cool dude like I don't know if you know he's I guess he's a he hosts TRL in New York every weekend and also K-Rock every night during the weeks. He flies back and forth. Dude's like, wow, that's crazy. You know, the hardest working man in show business. Um, yeah. And we've become friends, you know, since then. And we message and he's just, just very not like he, he made us feel super comfortable, super music fan, like knowledgeable. He's like 20 something, but he knows about, you know, all kinds of stuff and um, like not a poser at all. Like, oh, radio DJ, like a guy knows and shit. So um, super cool, very welcoming. K Rock, and you know, we, you could look at the they have, you know the footage online of the interview, but they basically we announced it live on the air, and then played Never Gonna Give You Up for the first time, and then put it on YouTube, um, and that was it. And you know, I was immediately expecting the comments to be like, you know, you saw you're not Steve, da da da. And if you look at the comments, it's been like two or three months. It's like just thousands of comments, and like literally, I I, don't, I, I was like, you guys have to be deleting the negative comments because it's all positive, you know. So. Yeah. Uh, there's definitely a couple mixed in like you're not steve but besides that it's 99.9 percent positive like this sounds great the song is great and so the thing that i didn't realize though the genius of the idea for the cover was that the whole meme factor which i didn't really realize the whole rick astley and shrek thing so people are so excited about it like oh my god this is the mat you know this is the crossover of memes and you know the greatest moment in internet history and all this stuff which i, I was like oh yeah that's right so it ended up being a very good move and hopefully um when it comes out next week people will check it out and it'll do something i don't know maybe soundtracks or you know maybe hopefully radio um yeah that was cool i think it sounded good it was a good sort of like um crossover between the sort of the old and new sounds um and then we have another new one an original song that we just finished recording that we're mixing right now and uh we want to have that out by summertime so it, we yeah we you, two. Can you say the name of it or are you not? Um, I don't know if I'm allowed to. Okay. 
Okay. Uh, I, I won't ask you but, five but more it, times then and get out of here. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a summer, I'll put it this way, it's a summertime theme. It has to do with summer. Okay. So it'll, it'll, be, like, it'll be like a, a classic, a classic summertime theme. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, I mean, you, you mentioned Steve, like, did he ever reach out during any of this process at all or just? No, I mean, our, I, yeah. I have nothing, but I've never met him. So I have no, I have nothing to yeah. say about him personally, no, but I mean, course. I, you know, I respect what he's done. Um, I have a brand new respect for the vocals and the songwriting after listening to the songs over and over again. Cause I really didn't know I knew the hits and I'm like, okay, you know, pop bands, but I mean, they have so many good songs. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, Greg, you know, wrote a lot of the songs and just, you know, they're just, I mean, you know, there's a lot of third verses, <laughs> you know, yeah. you, you, there's, there's a lot of pop songs where it's like third verse, same as the first. And he's like, no, I'm writing a third and a fourth verse, you know? So that was like, when I met him, I'm like, thanks for writing all those fucking third and fourth verses. Um, but um, no, it's, it's been, it's been all, we're, we're really focused on just, this is the band now, you know? Um, you know, we have respect for the history of the band and the, and the fans and the songs, but this is the lineup now, um, you know, we're moving forward. And um, I can only be me, you know, yeah, and just do my thing. And with respect, I'm not trying to be anybody else, but I have to, ha I do have to, you know, pay homage to the original material and the original songs and, you know, in the spirit of Smash Mouth and, you know, stay, stay generally on brand, <laughs> you know, yeah, gonna, yeah, do something totally different, but I'm still me, you know. Yeah, do do your thing, but pay, pay respect. I mean, that's the way to do it, right? I mean, like, yeah, I, mean, I think when I saw, um, when I saw uh, Adam Lambert do Queen at the Hollywood Bowl, that was like the best example because I was, I was super skeptical. And I'm like, all right, and I love Queen. And I actually, Adam Lambert really grew on me. Like I wasn't a fan on American Idol because I just, I don't know, just didn't, I, I sure. just wasn't super into him. But I really liked his solo album. Like uh, there was like, really good songwriting on his, his solo albums. And I'm like, fuck, this guy's actually really good. So I'm like, okay, I'm interested. I'll check it out. And we went and it was just so good. And, and he was so humble and so... Um, grateful. He was just like, look, I'm not Freddie. I'll never be Freddie. I'm not trying to be Freddie. All I could do is be myself. You know, I love these songs. I love this band. That's kind of how I feel. I'm like, I can only be myself. I know you guys, some of you will expect something else, but this is, this is yeah. who I am, you know? Yeah. And do you play um, guitar? Uh, yeah, I play, uh, yeah, I play guitar. I play bass in Geezer. I play, but I mean, for Smash, um, for Smash Mouth. In no, I haven't played any. That's why I, okay. I, can't, I can't really play you a song acoustically because I haven't yeah. learned any. I haven't, I had a hard enough time learning all the words. I haven't even learned the music for any of the songs yet. That's, that's, um, but no, no, just for Smash Mouth, I'm just singing. I mean, maybe in the future, some acoustic yeah. show will do something, but um, yeah. no, just, just, just vocals. Yeah. So, so you have some shows coming up. Um, I mean, tell me what the tour looks like as you get in. I mean, you have a summer song, so obviously and there's going to be a lot of shows yeah. coming up for the summer, right? There are a lot of shows booked, but it's sort of like a... Um, you know, they're all flyaway dates, basically. So we're not like sure. playing, it's not really a tour. It's sort of like, you know, we'll be in Oklahoma next Saturday. And then weekend after that, we'll be in Illinois. And so it's basically, like, you know, fly out on a Friday, play the show Saturday, come home on a Sunday. So you can still yeah. do your thing during the week. Some of the other guys play in other bands or do session work. Um, I do uh, voiceover work for commercials as well. Um, yeah. You know, so yeah, it's... it's uh, I don't know if there's a comprehensive play. Like my website has all of our shows that are, there's other ones that are confirmed, but you can't announce them until others. Like you have to wait to announce them until this market, whatever it is. So um, all the current ones are up on my website, zachgoody.com. And they're probably on bands in town as well, I think. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's just like, you know, we're doing- um, Turlock I saw uh, in the- yeah. 
tur yeah, we're doing a, you know, Turlock, we're doing uh, Sacramento, uh, Oklahoma, I think there's one in Florida in October. Um, but it's manageable. It's like sort of like, you know, Saturday here, Saturday there, day, you know, weekend off, Friday, Saturday here. Uh, then, you know, but it's, it's like a, basically a different state every Saturday. Yeah. Know? Um, and so as you uh, as you start to this relationship with the band, like what is writing uh, look like in terms of an, an album? Are you going to be, you know, taking the, the wheel, so to speak, in ter uh, terms of a large part of the. Uh, I'm not sure exactly how it's going to shake out yet. Like our, our main priority, I mean, I think our main priority is to, you know, just sort of play shows and get the band out there. Um, obviously, we all are creative type people and and songwriters and producers actually like everyone in the band produces as well so um like with these first two songs like the new one that we're doing is a, a song that paul had written already it was like a done song that we just all added our kind of parts to it and it's just sort of like a democratic um hey here you know add your keyboard parts like you know any other band i guess and um i had ideas for vocals i changed the words a little bit and i added a harmony here and there so it is um we're all contributing um but we haven't sat down yet and like tried to write a new song from scratch. So I'm sure. not sure if that's going to be a priority. I mean, people don't tend to really buy albums in, anymore. So I, I personally don't think um, it's a priority for me, but I'll, I'll go with the flow. I have tons of material. Yeah. Um, Cause I mean, like I listened to like, like, like for example, Stone Temple Pilots just put a new album out like, you know, last year. Yeah. Did you know that? <laughs> no, no, I didn't know that. No, actually, I, I, did, you know? I can't say I did, to be honest. But right, they, they have they have a new singer, and they play yeah, everywhere, yeah. and they have a new album. I listen to it, and it's good. But did anybody buy it? Did anybody? I, you know, it's it's hard to say. I don't, you know, I don't know what the demand is um, for new music. I think it's I think it's smarter to put out uh, a new song here and a new song there, and when you feel like you have enough songs for an album, maybe put that album out because um, it's obviously a different landscape than it was ten or twenty years ago. Um, oh, yeah bands aren't going platinum anymore but there's lots of opportunities for placements and you know sync and movies and gaming and you know streaming and so there, there is definitely still a reason to create new music but i don't think it's like a priority to bang out an entire new album anytime soon sure sure and i, I think that a lot of people are interested in kind of what that next chapter is i mean that's that, that's my interest right i mean i was a smash mouth fan from when i was a kid they were my first concert and nice. uh, and you know, and so it's it's funny. I told Steve that when I heard him a couple of years back, and uh, and he said, "I'm sorry," you know, <laughs> and it, it was just it was funny. Uh, but uh, uh, there was a lot of people in, in Guadalajara. It was their first concert. You know, like we did the meet and greets, and uh, um, it was families that came. It was great. It was like dads and moms and kids. And it's like, oh my god, yeah. my first show. And it was it was it was really nice. Great and fans in Mexico. Wow, what a what a crowd. I'm afraid yeah. I'm going to be let down next time we play a show because I'm not going to be as cool. <laughs> well, that's the thing. So, I mean, you have this, the ability, you're taking over this seat that, you know, the this band reaches a whole generation, generations, right? I mean, because there's the kids with the Shrek and the and everything, and the, but then there's the, the my generation that's been with Smash Mouth, you know, since I was a teenager as well, and I have yeah. kids too. So, you know, yeah. I mean, so I'm really interested to see kind of where you go with it and um and so make it I, and make it your own your, <laughs> you know and make yeah, it your I, own. I um i mean one of the things that was pointed out to me is like you know i, I keep saying they because it's like it's weird to say we a smash mouth yet so it's because it's like new but like they are sort of the new classic rock for the next generation you know it's like these bands that sold 10 million albums in the 90s and were like some of the biggest bands of all time but like these all, this other generations 
are dying out and retiring. And it's like these bands can only tour for so long. I mean, they're touring into their 70s. Um, the band, you know, the Hollywood Bowl level bands, the classic rock legacy bands, and right. you know, the Hall of Fame bands. They're gonna run out of those bands, and then the next <laughs> round of Hall of Fame people. I, my prediction is it'll be the new, it'll be the Corns, Deftones, Sublimes of the world will be the next round because they've already gotten all the Seattle, you know, I mean, not Smashing Pumpkins, but besides that, Pearl Jam, you know, all those types sure. of bands, Nirvana. Um, Hip hop is like coming up, and then the next round will be, you know, the Smash Mouse of the world after that, and that will be the next round of classic rock you know playing the hollywood bowls of the world you know um potentially yeah yeah uh, so as we went out deck i'm curious what was your first concert and what was your favorite concert of the year you've performed or or been to because i know that's completely different but <laughs> yeah um well my first show ever was iron maiden peace of mind tour oh um, my god in 83 with um Coney Hatch and Fastway opening up. And if you got old metalheads that are listening, no Fastway. Um, they had the checkerboard album cover, and their singer is now the singer for Flogging Molly. So Wait, who? The red haired guy. Dave, from Dave, Dave Molly. King. Dave King. Huh? Is Dave King from Flogging Molly. Yeah, Dave, Dave, yeah, yeah. Dave from Flogging Molly. Yeah. He used to be a skinny dude with long red hair, metal dude. And, and I think, they had I, think I knew that. Motorhead. Yeah. yeah. And they had one that. hit. Remember the See what you will, and you will. It was a killer song, like 82 or whatever it was. So they opened up yeah. Iron Maiden Peace of Mind tour. Um, uh, and then actually the next week, I went to go see Elvis Costello on the Punch the Clock tour. So that's been like the story of my life. The two like, you know, yeah. battling factions. Um, I'm a huge, I saw Elvis a couple months ago. Again, I've seen him a bunch of times over the years. Uh, as far as memorable, I've been to so many memorable. I mean, I've been to so many shows. Um, yeah. I mean, the first Lollapalooza was incredible. You know, seeing Living Color, Jane's Addiction, Nine Inch Nails, Rollins Band, Ice-T with Body Count, with a shotgun, butthole surfers. I mean, it was, it was incredible. Um, uh, I mean, some bands I always tell people, like, I'll, I'll go see no matter what. Um, Guar. <laughs> yes, yes. And, 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 and Flaming Lips. Like, to me, those two bands put on the best, like, live experience shows. I just love. Um, uh bands of bands that i go and see like newer bands like i see i still see tons of concerts but like um some of the newer newer bands that i go see every time they come through la uh i'm a big dawes fan the band dawes mm -hmm. um i've seen them probably like you know seven or eight times the last couple of years and uh not a surf is another i'm a big like power okay. pop fan and i just love not a surf and they come around every year we go see them um who else um Butch Walker puts on a great show. I'm okay. friendly with him. We ride motorcycles together and he plays a lot. And we go to all his shows and he's an amazing performer. Um, yeah, and then in terms of playing, I mean, I obviously last weekend was the most memorable show of my life. You know, I mean, I've never it's played huge. in front of 40,000 people before. I mean, yeah. I played, I did play the San Diego Sports Arena seven times in, in the wow. 90s. Every New Year's we would play there. So, I mean, I played lots of big shows there and it was with big bands. I mean, with Deftones and with, you know, these type of bands. Um, and that was back when shows were like crazy and people, you know, pits and jumping off, you know, and the stage and, you know, having guns and knives pulled on you and all kinds of crazy shit. Um, so played a lot of those, but I mean, this, you know, walking out in front of 40,000 people and seeing All-Star, you know, that's kind of, that has to take the cake. <laughs> that's, a, that's a new level. Were you nervous or yeah. did, you, did, did you just kind of, were you able to separate that? Like I wasn't nervous. I, it's, it's incredible. Like I, I just, um, I always get a little nervous before any show, even if I'm playing a dive bar, 
I just yeah. have a little flutter, like two hours before the show, like a little flutter, just like, okay, I have to actually deliver now. And I just kind of, you know, get into my, my zone. And I didn't feel it any more or any less for the show. It was just where I was bad. I was pacing, doing my warm-ups. I'm like, you're gonna be great. You know, it's gonna you, you train, this is what you prepared for. Um, you know, and uh it it, it just it, I visualized it and it just came, it happened exactly the way I visualized it. Like it's rare that it happens in life where it lives up to your expectations. And it did. It was it was just like a perfect, it was a perfect show, um, a perfect crowd. And they knew the songs and, you know, it was just, it was, it was hot. But besides that, it was, it was very enjoyable. So yeah, it was great. That's amazing. Well, Zach, I want to, I want to thank you for taking the time and congratulations on the, I mean, the new thank you. opportunity. I mean, it's, it's huge. And like I said, I mean, I'm, I'm just excited to see where you take it and, and where it comes and there's no rush. You do it at your own pace, but, uh, but I'm excited for you for that opportunity. And, uh, and oh, thank you so much. And thanks thing. for uh, thanks for reaching out. I'm sorry I didn't get back to you for a while. I have so many. You'd be <laughs> that was one of the things I was worried about with like, no, or just like curious of like, you know, when it went public, like, yeah. what's my social media going to look like? And it's like it's very strange. Like I had to make my Instagram private, or not private, but like I don't post any family stuff there anymore, except for close friends and all my other stuff. I'll post to Facebook if I have like a baby picture or something, just because I got so many new people messaging me and adding me. It's just like I don't know who these people are so yeah. it's like I'm, I'm trying to navigate that right now so i had a lot of messages that i didn't realize i had so that's why i didn't uh answer you right away but i appreciate you reaching out you good that was the interview with zach goody from smash mouth here on concert pipeline and that takes us to the final segment of the program the music news <laughs> All right, uh, we have a couple of stories to wind out the program uh, that we'll talk about. Uh, first, why don't we start with COVID? You know, since that's the theme of the day, um, a major rock star uh, tested positive for COVID and had to postpone a couple of concerts. Another one, I know, right? Uh, and this one is Mick Jagger. Uh, so uh, the safety of the audience, fellow musicians, and the touring crew has to take priority a statement read following the postponement of shows, shows in Amsterdam and, and Switzerland. Switzerland. Uh, the Rolling Stones are just hours away from taking the stage uh, uh, for the fourth date of their 60th anniversary tour when Mick Jagger announced that he had tested positive for COVID and the show wouldn't be happening. Um, I'm so sorry we've had to postpone the Amsterdam show with such short notice tonight, he wrote to fans on Instagram. I have unfortunately just tested positive for COVID. We aim to reschedule the date ASAP and get back as soon as we can. Thank you all for your patience and understanding. Um, so the Rolling Stones are deeply sorry for this postponement, but for the safety of the audience, yeah, they got to take priority. Okay. Uh, and the show's June 21st show at Milan is currently slated to take place as scheduled. Uh, and the Rolling Stones tour is currently set to wrap up on July 31st uh, in Stockholm, Sweden, but they've pledged to rebook both the Amsterdam and Bern shows for most likely in August. Um, I mean, the Stones, you can't stop the Stones, right? You can't stop the Stones. Uh, it's interesting. I was just thinking about it the other day, uh, the Beatles and the Stones thing. And the Beatles, you know, are, it's always Beatles versus the Stones, Beatles versus the Stones. And the Beatles really had like five years of uh, heavy work, five years of work to go into being uh, arguably the greatest band in the world. The Stones have been playing for 50, 60 years, whatever it is. What did I just say? 
60th anniversary mother you know like seriously the stones have been around forever to get to that number two spot where they're just like uh fighting with the beatles for that second spot and have continued on and not stopped and they've uh, and it's taken them 60 years to get to that point well i mean they've held that spot for 60 years i guess you could say so uh it's pretty interesting you know uh situation um okay let's talk about bts um first of all i know almost nothing about bts uh but they've been uh, other than they're one of the biggest groups in the world they've announced that they're going on hiatus and they we have to accept it with change uh they just dropped a three disc career retrospective compilation proof their k-pop icons bts shocked the army nation on tuesday uh, with a surprise announcement that they are going on an indefinite hiatus to allow each man time to focus on solo ventures. That is, that is big because they are, they are one of the biggest acts around and, you know, not one that I'm, uh, not my style, right? Not, not, uh, not music that I'm into or I've delved into at all other than uh, to know that you can't get away from. Uh, so uh, that came to, uh, to around 20 minutes into an hour long fiesta dinner Festa dinner? I don't know. Uh, in which the members uh, casually sat around a dinner table joking around while deciding what to drink, reminiscing about their rocket ride to fame and playfully teasing each other. We're going on hiatus now, Sugar casually stated at one point. Uh, I propose of nothing else they were talking about in a segment uh, that suddenly made the tone more uh, sober. Should we talk about why we're uh, not doing the Festa or making concert, he added. Should we get into that? Yeah, we're gonna have to talk about the direction we're taking. And uh, so they expanded gathering like this today and shooting content, I'm glad we're BTS. What would I do if uh, we weren't BTS? It made me think I'm happy to be uh, uh, just being together, RM uh, said. I started music and became BTS because I had a message for the world. He added that he didn't know what he would do after the group released on the second single from their 2020 Map of the Soul 7 album. Um, Okay, anyway, uh, it goes on and on, but they're, uh, they're going on hiatus, I guess is the long and short of, of that story. Um, another band that uh, I, you know, I'm curious about, but and I tried listening to a little bit, and I'm like, I don't, do I know? <laughs> Excuse me. Oh, yeah, there we go. There's a COVID sneeze for you. Um, okay, uh, another band that I have a story about that I don't have a lot of background my, myself in terms of knowledge on, other than I've heard heard of them for a long time and never seen them live I don't think is LCD sound system they've uh, announced a San Francisco and Oakland residency they're going to play eight gigs in the Bay Area in August uh, and uh, so they, they're going to play let me see here uh, they're going to play Oakland's Fox Theater on August 16th and three more shows at the venue across consecutive evenings and then from August 21st to 24th they're playing at the Warfield in San Francisco uh, later that man, they're going to month. They're going to perform as part of this ain't no picnic festival in Pasadena. So, eight shows in the Bay Area. Uh, they play last year. They played seventeen shows as uh, uh, of a planned twenty show residency in Brooklyn Steel in New York. However, the run ended prematurely due to got it COVID cases. Uh, so they're going to these residencies, uh, and uh, and fans are really excited about it. Um, I mean, it's uh, it's an interesting you know method, right? A band that doesn't play a bunch of shows, but will play a block of shows at uh, a particular location and be able to sell out eight shows in the Bay Area. I mean, it's pretty 
pretty freaking impressive. So, uh, so congrats to them. Okay, and talking about concerts, one that I'm interested in and toying with uh, trying to get a ticket to is um, Taylor Hawkins. We'll, we're ending this uh, this episode, by the way, in the Foo Fighters method like we used to back in the day. This is a Foo Fighters story, right? Uh, there is a uh, Taylor Hawkins tribute concert that's going to be happening. Actually, two Taylor Hawkins tribute concerts. The one is September 3rd in uh, the UK at Wembley Stadium. And the other is September 27th in Los Angeles at Kia Forum. Uh, so Dave Grohl, Nate Mandel, Chris Shiflett, Pat Smear, and uh, Rami Jaffe, Foo Fighters, uh, will come together with the Hawkins uh, family to celebrate the life, music, and love of their husband, father, brother, and bandmates at the Taylor Hawkins Tribute Concerts. Um, and so his music is obviously well-respected by many. He was the Foo Fighters drummer. Uh, for over 25 years. I mean, his uh, reputation precedes him. And there's going to be all-star rock and roll shows uh, that, that are these, um, you know, at these two shows. They haven't announced the, the actual lineup. They'll probably be doing that after the tickets are on sale and sell out in, uh, in like a minute. Uh, but, uh, but it's uh, lots of people coming together to celebrate the legend that is Taylor Hawkins. And, I really, you know, I want to be a part of it. It's it's a ways to go for a concert, but uh, but I would be super stoked to be able to be there and witness uh, that experience. So, uh, so that is uh, that is coming up September. Um, all right, uh, my 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 nasal situation is getting a little congested. I'm ready to wrap this show up. Uh, so thank you again to Zach Goody for being on the program. Uh, many, many, many good thoughts and, uh, uh, you know, feelings towards his, his venture with Smash Mouth going forward. Uh, next week on the program, we have Zach, excuse me, Jack Star, uh, uh, Jack Star's Burning Star, uh, and um, another really good conversation that we had. So uh, for all of us here at Concert Pipeline, I'm Steve Jones. We'll catch you next time. <laughs>